and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. I'm Andrew Nichol. And to the show, we are talking about UMI. That's right, it's not something you catch on a Friday night down on K Road. <laughs> it is uncommitted monthly That's, income. Yes, yes, starting to sound like me with your jokes. I oh, know, I've spent too much time with you. Now, what happens when you run out of uncommitted monthly income or income when you're trying to get a mortgage approved from the bank? Now, this actually comes from a listener's show, Data Nerd 99 and actually we met outside of Mano in Auckland. I'm sashaying along and he comes sashaying out. Sashaying along. Sashaying, that's me. I'm walking along looking. Uh, what uh, the, what you doing? With I was about to say no straight man would use that term. No, that they wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's offensive to a portion of our listeners. So I met him outside Amano as I'm, I'm sashaying along, and he says, hello, 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 I'm Dadadun99. And I was like, that's so good. I love it. So anyway, he's sent me some questions, and Andrew, actually, just summarise for us. What was his question here? Uh, okay. So he said through his numbers, and he's looking at buying a $700,000 property. When the bank looks at their criteria, it looks like it's going to be negatively geared about $500 a week, so about $2,500 a month. And that's because the bank uses a 6.7% interest rate, principal and interest repayments, takes off rates and insurance and maintenance, and discounts the rental income. His question is, well, how the hell do I build my portfolio? Yeah, so if the bank is looking at it, and it's obviously not negatively geared by $500 a week, but just in the bank's calculation, yep. he's like, well... If it's two and a half K a month, you know, I'm going to run out of income pretty quickly to keep purchasing investment yeah. properties. So how do I do it? Now, he actually emailed me and said, you know, I think that I'd need a gross yield of about 8% in order to buy a property that- Have, have it neutrally geared. And have it neutrally geared in the bank size. Yeah. So when the bank looks at it, they say, yep, this property services itself. Actually, it's closer to around 11.5% for a new build and 13.3% for an existing 13. property. 13.3. That's because the banks calculate different, or some banks calculate or will accept different amounts of rental income, whether it's new or existing, because of the tax treatment. Now, it used to be lower, but triple CFA are now taking things like rates, insurance, maintenance into account. So I'm accounting for all of this. So effectively, your rent per year has to be, at a minimum, about 11.3% of your debt in order for it to service itself. To give you an example of that, let's say it's a $500,000 mortgage. Well, it needs to rent for about $1,100 per week for the bank to see it as servicing itself, not looking at your income at all. Now, look, it's just unrealistic. So it'd be $1,550 a week for that 700 k property. Yeah. Outrageous. That's just not going to happen in today's market. I mean, even if you're significantly renovating a property, I think we might talk about it later on. Shall we I'm, put this out to Elsa, see if she can get a 13.3% yield for one of her clients? Well, remember, we were just having our State of the Nation where she shared some of her numbers, kind of 8 to 12% is that range mm. of Opus Accelerate people are doing at the moment. No, so even well. there, they're still looking at your income. So I suppose the question is, you know, what's a standard gross yield in today? market for new build and existing, Andrew? If you're buying a new build, then generally speaking, you're between 4% 
if you focus on a growth property, between 3 and 4%. I mean, we like it to be at the higher end of that, 4%. And for a yield property, like a jewel-key apartment or a jewel-key townhouse, we're kind of wanting it to be kind of around that 6% mark minimum. If you're doing a renovation-based cash flow hack, then we're looking for 8%, 8% on the debt as opposed to 8% on the new house value. And that's because it's about what you've invested in it. Yeah, yield, new build yield, probably more 55 to 6.5%, I'd say, is probably realistic. If it's a, a yield-based new build, like a dual-care apartment. Yeah, yeah. So how do you keep on borrowing? Look, there are some strategies, but the honest truth as well is eventually people do max out. Now, that is very normal. In fact... I max out all of the time where the bank stops saying, yes, we'll lend you more and more money. Otherwise, I'd have many more houses. But the question is, when you get in that situation, because that is a normal situation, how do you keep borrowing more? And number one, I think is most important is figuring out, well, how many properties do I actually need in my portfolio? Now, look, I can understand some people listening to the show just want to buy as many properties as possible, and I'm with you. But I think the first step is to figure out, well, if my goal is... 100k worth of passive income per year in 10 or 15 years time. You know, how many properties do you actually need to achieve that? That can work out as your baseline. It is a really important thing to have in your mind because people do think, oh, well, if I can't get to where I want to, then I'm not going to bother at all. Yeah, if um, I can't buy 10 properties, yeah, yeah, I won't I'm bother not at all. Bother because I'm just going to get maxed out by the bank. Yeah, that's okay. But if the three properties get you to the lifestyle that you want in retirement, then buy the three properties. What's number two? Number two is to increase your income. And this is the strategy we often call the earn, baby, earn. And we've got a podcast that obviously just recently came out on this, but it's about gradually increasing your income to allow you to borrow more money so that you can continue to pick up properties. And that's the other thing that people forget. When you're looking at the here and now of what the bank's rules are and what your incomes are, as time goes on, your income goes up, your mortgages go down, you end up in a better lending position as well. Number three is to continually increase your rents. And again, this is the same as your earn, baby, and where you've got to keep increasing your rents. And on average, it's about 4.7% per year. Now, sometimes it's going to be lower than that. Sometimes it's going to be higher than that. And that is going to mean that gradually the properties you already have in your portfolio are going to continue to service themselves better. Because as that rent increases as a percentage of your mortgage, that's where it's going to service itself more. Number four is to pay down your personal debt. So if you've paid off all personal loans, high purchase, all of those kind of, the bubblegum debts, then you pay down your personal mortgage because more of your income is available then to service investment debt. And investment debt is effectively cheaper in the bank size because investment debt comes with investment income or rental income. Every dollar that you borrow comes with some income as well. And I think that's a really key one that, People often forget, if you've got a million dollars worth of personal debt, that is going to have a larger negative impact on your mortgage application than if you've got a million dollars worth of investment debt. It's got nothing to do with the tax treatment. It's just that if you've got a million dollars worth of investment debt, you're going to have some yield associated with that. And so that's important to remember. Number five for me is... Look, investing in cheaper properties, if you can. Now, in DataNerd99's situation, they've got about a $1.3 million property in Silverdale. So really- Uh, Own house? No, no, no. That's their investment property. Wow, $1.3 million. I mean, they've done very well out of it. I'm assuming it's a standalone house in Silverdale. Bought it, I think. Oh, sorry, DataNerd99. You could have pulled me up on this. But, uh, you know, they've owned it for, I think, about 18 months, maybe two years. Mm. Not so bad. They've also got an owner-occupier in Auckland. But I'm just uh, trying to point out that $1.3 million- 
in today's market is a higher priced investment property. Now, yeah. if you were to go out and purchase the next one, you might do what you're doing now, looking at kind of 700K properties, yeah. things that are cheaper. You wouldn't necessarily go out and buy another $1.3 million house because you might get one of those where you might be able to buy two 650K townhouses. And if you're outside of Brightline, it might be worth reviewing that and seeing whether or not it's better off to sell that one now, which might have had this massive jump in price. Because if they pay 700000 for it, it's gone up by half a mil, might be better to redeploy that money now as well. Yeah, I'd have to look at their numbers. Sorry, yep. I don't have them in front That's of me. Okay. What's number six? Number six is to add a high-yielding property. They're not necessarily going to service themselves from a UMI perspective. Again, they might from a practical standpoint, but from the bank standpoint, might not from the UMI calculation, but they'll require less income from your personal income to be deducted, so it could be easier to get across the line. And look, number seven is probably my favourite, and you're going to get sick of me going on and on about them this year, but your non-bank lenders... If you're really struggling to get the next one over the line, then you can look at an on-bank lender, be with them for two, three years, and then refinance away to a main bank as your position improves over time. But because they're more willing to lend to investors, I know one non-bank actually is saying, we just want to help investors buy more properties. Um, Who's that? Am I allowed to say? Yeah. Oh, that was Resimac. The source is... Conversations over beers. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, <laughs> just in case anybody wants to know the source. So, dealing with non-banks, really important. And I think a big part of that is, which is point number eight, is your team. Using a good mortgage broker to help you get lending across the line. And as an ex-mortgage broker... I know that, you know, there are different mortgage broking skill sets around. You know, you might have someone that just specialises in first home buyers and that kind of thing. But when you get to investors, you really want someone that understands how using different bank policies or massaging the numbers by saying, okay, well, look, if we get another $20 a week rent out of this rental property and we get a slightly better rental appraisal on this or, or get an actual tenancy agreement on this property at a higher than what the average of the rental assessment is, then that's going to get you another $50,000 worth of borrowing ability. And I think some of this also comes down to mindset. Coming back to what you were talking about before. So, you know, I've met some people who don't want to buy their first or their second investment property because they can't see a really clear pathway about how they're going to buy, for instance, their sixth investment property. I'm going to say something so obvious, but how do you buy six investment properties? You start by buying one, yeah. then you buy two. Now, yeah, you do want to think about, you know, is this the right investment property that's going to help me grow? That's why a lot of the investors we work with here at Opus, you know, are focused on growth properties because they want to increase their equity position so they can keep borrowing if it's equity that's stopping them from doing so. And, and because they want to increase their wealth as well. But I do think that it's really important to say, you know, even if you can't buy 10 investment properties anymore on your current income because the banks aren't lending like they were 10 to 15 years ago where some other property investors started like sweet if you can still buy three or four over a 10 year period that's still better than doing none and you can still invest in shares and you can still yeah. invest in savings and you can still invest in managed funds because those ones are more cash intensive but just because you can't buy 10 investment properties doesn't mean that you shouldn't buy four yeah uh, and actually it's really interesting because one of our property partners the other day rang me up to ask me if I'd speak to one of her investors about exactly this, the investor had got themselves kind of a bit in a, a bit of a mental block, in my opinion, because they just couldn't see how they were going to be able to buy all the properties they needed to get to where they want to be. 
As a result, they were second guessing everything that the property partner told them about, okay, well, you need to get this property. And then they're looking for, okay, well, do I need to buy a cheaper property? Not realizing that actually another 50,000 off that probably isn't going to change anything drastically with the bank anyway. And as a result, you know, I think this property partner has been working with them for a month and a half now and they've done nothing. It can be a really hard barrier to get around, but if you don't get around it, you'll end up with nothing. And even if you just end up with one property, one property, if it makes a 35% dent in your wealth gap, then great. Even if you can't buy any more, at least you got 35% of the way there, better than 0% of the way there. The way I was thinking about it is you get your first one, and as you purchase each new investment property, then you figure out, well, what's the game plan to get the next one? Absolutely. You know, how do I get the next one? And you don't need to focus on how to buy the 10th property no. necessarily. You just need the next one. That's exactly right. And then the next one. And it might be exactly what I've talked about here. Non-bank lenders, earn baby earn, focusing sometimes on higher yields, rechecking your current rents, rechecking your current incomes, all of those kinds of things. That's how you start to build that portfolio. Yep. Right, let's wrap it up there. But if you want to learn how to get your first or your next investment property, how to get the bank to say yes to you, come along to our upcoming webinar because we're going through these sorts of strategies. We're going to talk through our top six mortgage strategies to get that application over the line. And it's going to be a lot of fun. It's on Tuesday, the 10th of May, 7 p.m. Links down in the description. Tap or swipe over the cover art. It'll be in there. Or just go to opuspartners.co.nz slash webinar. You'll be able to sign up for free. listening to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time, 